Incredible. Incredible. That is the name of our series in the Gospel of Mark. Welcome to the series. If you've just come here or just kind of woke up and say, hey, I'm here. Well, no problems. Today is the first sermon in it. Jim introduced it last week, but Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. And in fact, the title of today's message in our incredible series is The Son of God. It is an incredible series. But the one who is incredible is the Son of God. And so as you're turning there to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, there are three questions that I want to just bring to your mind as we prepare to read this chapter. Here are the three questions. You ready? Who is the Son of God? Who is the Son of God? What did he come to do? And how should we respond to him? Who is the Son of God? What did he come to do? And how should we respond to him? Now let me, as you're turning to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, let me give you a little illustration to help us as we read this together. I'm going to read it in a moment, but let me, let me help you. Recently, I had an upgrade to my operating system uh, on my iMac. And when the upgrade came, it totally changed how my photos are displayed. So instead of having iPhotos, it's now a, it's the, it's the Photos app, okay, on your iMac, the photo app, the Photos app. And so, man, I said, where are my photos? Because I am not very good at these things. It took me a while to figure it out. And uh, as I went into my Photos app, I started looking at all my photos. I just started re- reviewing them. Probably like you, my photos are, are set up in albums. And the albums start at the very beginning, and they move to the present and it was wonderful to kind of look at all these photos of the family, all these photos of, of us, of you, of our 15th anniversary. I just started looking at all of the, uh, the albums. Now, something I did, which I'm a little ashamed of, but I'm going to go ahead and share it with you privately, is every photo that I looked at, the first person that I sought to identify in that photo was me. Very sad. Like even like my, my, my daughter's wedding photos, like she's the main subject of the photo. I'm looking for me. Where am I? I'm in the background. What's my expression? Man, have I changed? But don't we all do that? In a sense, when we, we look at a photo, be honest now, you're going to look for yourself. That temptation can hit us when we read God's word. I want you to think of God's word as one big photo app of God's redemptive story through history. Not the story of the Pinos, but God's redemptive story. It's one story. And the main subject of all of these photos in this photo app is God, Jesus Christ. God's redemption played out. It's kind of like a family album of God and his people from the very beginning to the very end, from Genesis 1 to Revelation And I want you to think of every book in this Bible as different uh, albums, different albums. So today we're studying the photo album, Mark. And, And even as my photo albums in my photo app were somewhat chronological, and it was hilarious looking at Joey and Steph as just these, these little people. We used to call them little ones. They hated that. If they're here, they hate it probably right now. And we said, there's the little ones. And, and how they've changed. And so, so as we look at all of these photo albums and we're dropping into Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15 is where we're going to read. We're going to read about 
the main subject. And what we don't want to do, we don't want to rush past the main subject, Jesus Christ, to try to find ourselves or even be distracted with some of the others. You're going to see several others in this particular photo session we're going to look at today. But we want to focus on Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And I want us to pray in a moment here. And and I want us to ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal to us God the Son. So God the Father would, would send God the Holy Spirit right here, right now. He's with us to reveal God the Son. So we can understand who He is. We can understand what He came to do. And then we can understand how we are to respond to Him. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us your grace your wisdom, your hand of mercy would be upon us as we look at this photo album, this one story with one subject, with one people, these 66 books, and today we drop into the book of Mark. And we pray that you would open to us now and and reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This, This photo album, what's amazing about this photo app is that the first album was written approximately 1500 B.C. by Moses, Genesis 1. Moses wrote Genesis 1. Wrote the first five books of the Bible. And the last album in this photo app was written by the Apostle John late in the first century. Revelation. So you've got 1500 years, 66 individual albums, but you have one subject, one story, one people. One God. So we want to take a look at this one God. And if you look in Mark 1.1, let us read it together. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I think I saw John on South Beach last night. And he preached, saying... After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Mark entitles this album in verse 1. So if you're looking at this album of the 66 albums in the photo app of God's redemption story, this album could be titled the following. Look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This word gospel, euangelion, was a word that was used in the Old Testament and in first century Greek to describe a report of victory. And the one bringing the good news was bringing the gospel, usually a military victory. But as we see in the first prophetic words here in verses 2 and 3, this victory is of God's promised salvation. God's promised salvation. And this victory is of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word Jesus is the Greek word for Yeshua or Joshua. And what this word means, this name means, is God is salvation. Christ is the Greek for Messiah. Messiah being the anointed one, the one who brings salvation. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the early church, there was one symbol above all that was used to identify Christians. And I know the cross was used, absolutely. But actually, this symbol was used more often. This symbol was used to mark secret meetings. This symbol was sometimes used if two guys were talking and they were kind of kneeling in the sands there in in Turkey, and they would start drawing this symbol on the ground. And it would identify them as friend and not foe. The symbol wasn't a cross. It was the symbol of a fish. And the Greek word for fish is ichthus. And as you can see on the screen here, this symbol actually captures the theme of Mark. Ichthys, the the Greek word for fish, the perfect acrostic for what? Iesus, on the far left there. Christus, Jesus Christ. Theos, or Theu, God's. Huios, Son. Soter, Savior. Jesus Christ. God's Son, Savior. This was the symbol of the early church. This is the theme of the Gospel of Mark. This this Son of God name for Christ that Jim told you last week was so highlighted in Mark speaks of his person and his mission, both and. His person and his mission. So here's the question. Who is this Son of God? Point one. Who is the Son of God? Well, John tells us. John is introduced here beyond the prophecy from Isaiah, speaking of the forerunner of Messiah, the forerunner of Christ. John now is going to introduce us to Jesus Christ. And and we really want to go into what John has to say. Here's what John says. That Jesus is mightier than I. Look at verse 7. And he, John, preached. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop and untie. Now, why is Jesus mightier than I, according to John? See, John came preaching a baptism for repentance of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. He came preparing them for Christ. But see, John's baptism of water touched their bodies. Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit would touch their souls. That's why Jesus is greater than John. The gospel appears in person. The baptism of Christ is where his identity, the identity of the Son of God, is most richly revealed. 
Look at with me in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Oh, friends, the baptism of John reveals who Jesus is. And the first thing it reveals about Jesus is that he is God come in the flesh. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus have to be baptized if it is a baptism for the repentance of sins? Because let me tell you, Jesus had no sin. So why did he have to be baptized? Because of this. God chose to come and dwell among us. The gospel shows up. In person, the gospel makes a personal appearance. Why is that so important? Because I want you to know something this morning. The gospel is here. It's not just a set of ideas that I'm sharing with you. It is that, but it's more than that. Jesus is personally here in the form of the Holy Spirit. It's very personal with God. I love what John Piper says about Jesus' baptism on the screen. When Jesus was baptized, along with all the repenting people who wanted to be on God's side, it was as though the commander-in-chief had come to the front lines, fastened his bayonet, strapped on his helmet, and jumped into the trench along with the rest of us. And when he did that, his Father in Heaven, who had sent him for this very combat, signified with the appearance of a dove that the Holy Spirit would be with him in the battles to come. Three things happen at Jesus' baptism. I mean, John has got his iPhone out and he is clicking. Pa, 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 pa. And he's, he's uploading them to the cloud. Literally. And I want you to download them. Because three things are revealed about Jesus, the Son of God, and his baptism. Here's the first one. The heavens are torn open. The heavens are torn open. Do you see that in verse 10? Immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open. That word in the Greek that is translated torn open is used one other time in the book of Mark. You know when it's used? At his crucifixion. When the centurion, a hardened Roman soldier, utters kind of almost secretly to himself, but we all get to read it 2,000 years later, truly, this was the Son of God. And at that moment... The curtain in the temple, torn open. This huge curtain that kept the people of God from God because of God's holiness and our sin. The curtain that would keep us from God because he is holy and we are not was torn in two. At the inception of Jesus' ministry, the heavens are torn open. At the conclusion of Jesus' ministry on earth, remember what Corey preached on Good Friday. On the cross, what did Jesus say? It is finished. There is a tearing, a tearing open of heaven, a tearing apart of what would separate us from God. Why? Because Jesus bore our sins as the Son of God, as the promised Messiah, as the suffering servant. And that's what we see in the second of these signs at his baptism. Look at it. Secondly, 
Immediately, the heavens were torn open at the end of verse 10, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. The Jews believed because their prophets told them, because God inspired their prophets to tell them that, that the Messiah, the Savior, would have the Spirit upon him. Look at the scripture here, Isaiah 42.1. Behold my servant whom I behold, uh, whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now God's about to utter the same thing. I delight in this one. He is my son. But here we see the Messiah. This is a messianic prophecy from Isaiah, written somewhere around 700 B.C., somewhere around 700 years before it actually happened with Christ. And look at Isaiah 11.2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, him being Messiah, the Savior, not just of Israel, but of the world. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, so he's being baptized, he's coming out of the water. You can imagine his face is breaking through the water. I love the picture someone posted recently of Elsie Mantecon's baptism. Her head's thrown back and her, her face is just brilliant and she's coming out of that baptismal right in front of the school. Well, imagine Christ coming out and immediately, bam, the heavens are torn open. Boom, the Holy Spirit falls up upon him like a dove. And then number three, a voice, a voice from heaven. And there were no psychotropic drugs involved. A real voice from heaven. Not one in your head, but a voice from heaven. And listen to what the voice says. God's voice says this. Verse 11. You are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. I can only imagine with his iPhone, he went from photos, click, 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 click. And he says, let me video this one. Boom. And he uploads the video. And we get to hear what God says. Do you see it? What does it mean? What does this mean? What does it mean that God says of Jesus Christ, who's been baptized because he wants to relate to us, this commander-in-chief who is now coming to the trenches with us and put on all the garb, what does it mean, this one who tore heaven open, this one who will then tear the curtain open at his crucifixion, this one upon whom the Holy Spirit has fallen, what what does it mean that the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. There is a rich Jewish heritage of the Son of God. In the Old Testament, Israel was called the Son of God. In the Old Testament, there was a king, David, and it was said that there would be a greater David who would come and rule Israel. What God is saying as this is my beloved son, this is the one who is the greater David. This is the one who's truly my son. Israel would point to him, but this is the one. What does it mean by beloved? Oh, friends, capture this imagery with me. When Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah, the place where the temple would eventually be built in Jerusalem. And he was about to stab his son through the heart with a knife because God had commanded it. He spoke of his son as his beloved. And when God said, stop, and he provided a lamb, a ram, and his son was saved. 
When God said, this is my beloved son, what he's saying is, this is the lamb who would be sacrificed so that we could live. That's my beloved son. And when he says, with whom I am well pleased, oh friends, this is language hearkening back to the suffering servant. Jesus who comes to be with us. He doesn't just leave us alone. Jesus who comes to sacrifice for us is this suffering servant. It's what the Jews missed. They thought Messiah was going to initially come as the king and rule over the Romans. They missed this. I pray we not miss it. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. I read it during communion. This, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, that harkens back to what we read in Isaiah 42, 1, which is the beginning of the suffering servant songs pointing to Messiah and really culminating in these wonderful verses in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Here is what it means when the Father says, This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, Listen, Jesus, Son of God, what does that mean? He's the King. What does that mean? He's the one that came to be sacrificed for, that, for our sins. What does that mean? He's the suffering servant. God, He is now the Israel. He's true Israel. He's the Son of God. Friends, no one in Scripture has ever been called that. Abraham was God's friend. Moses was God's servant. David was a man after God's own heart. But only Israel was the son of God. And they failed in that. And only the king of Israel, the true king of Israel, Messiah would be the son of God. And that is who Jesus is. He's beloved. James Edwards, in his commentary, in the pillar commentary on this text, says the following. Jesus is Israel reduced to one. A new Israel is going to come from Jesus. Now Jew and uh, Greek. They're going to be brought together in Christ. And as the Messiah and Son of God, Jesus is the second Adam, the new Israel, and a perfect king who will succeed where they each failed. Here's Here's what I think God wants you to receive from this. We all fail, don't we? we? We all blow it, don't we? When God says, this is my beloved son, he's saying that of all of the sons and daughters that will be adopted through Christ into his family. This is your photo album. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where your faith is. I don't know how you're feeling. But I want you to hear this. Because we're in Christ, we're hearing, these are my beloved children. These are my beloved children. Listen. The gospel is making a personal appearance right now. This is more than just good theology. It is good theology. But oh, may it be personal to you, right where you're at right now. And encourage you. Encourage you. All right, so this is who the Son of God is. Now, what did he come to do? Point two. What did he come to do? 
Well, notice in verse 12 something very interesting. As soon as he is called the the Son of God, the Beloved of God, this is the man, you'd think there'd be a celebration. (coughs) Let's have a special uh, dinner for this, this newly minted, well, not newly minted, but this Son of God. By the way, let me say that very clearly. He wasn't newly minted. He's the eternal Son of God. All this is is a confirmation of who he has been from all eternity. But... He's, this is his presentation. In fact, the early church would say that Jesus' ministry began at his baptism. It's interesting, when Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees and Sadducees, one of the key questions he asked them, he'd say, um, who do you say that John's baptism was? Very important for Jesus. His baptism was very important. The early church, like I said, marked his ministry as beginning at his baptism. And we can see why. But you would think having been baptized the Son of God, the King, the One, there'd be a celebration. No, what immediately happens as soon as the baptism, look at verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. That word immediately is one of the favorite words of Mark. He uses it 40 times in his gospel. Euthos is the word. And, and, and the Spirit drives him out parenthetically. In this text, we see the Trinity. Do you see the Trinity? The Father sends the Son. The Son willingly comes. The Father speaks over the Son. This is my beloved Son, and I am well pleased in Him. And then the Spirit immediately drives Him out into the wilderness. Why? Why did the Spirit do that? Because Jesus came to fight. Jesus came to finish the fight that God the Father picked in Genesis 3.15. Preach it. You can say preach it every once in a while, you know that? Relax. We are, most of us are either Latin or we're married to a Latin. Some to, to crazy Cuban Latins. So you can, you can like say some stuff, all right? It's not going to scare me. Listen, Jesus didn't come to just sit in some banquet hall and say, oh, you're the son of God. Wow, can I get your autograph, Jesus? No, Jesus says, all right, you're the son of God. Now go. Go fight the war in the wilderness. That's right. The spirit drives him out into the wilderness, verse 12. Why the wilderness? Because the wilderness was the place of barrenness. The wilderness was the place where there were wild animals and beasts. The wilderness was Satan's home turf. So Jesus goes to Satan's home turf and defeats him on his grounds. That's why the wilderness. And he defeated him where we failed. He succeeded where he failed. That's what I want you to hear. If you're in Christ, Christ came to fight the fight and win the fight that we regularly lose. Oh, this is the good news. This is why Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's our Savior. He's our warrior. He's our victor. He goes into the enemy territory. In John, John at the end of the Bible says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. Mark's account of the temptation is ever so brief. Look at it, verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. Why 40 days, Al? 40 days is so, so emblematic. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, and it's probably pointing to that, actually. And they failed in the wilderness. 
Absolutely. A whole generation is lost. Where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus won the victory in the wilderness. That's why 40 days. Being tempted by Satan. Satan would have loved to derail the whole deal. Abdicate Jesus. Matthew gives us much more detail. Mark doesn't care about the detail. You know what Mark cares about? He went in and he won. He duped him out. He won where we failed. And he was with the wild animals, but catch the very end of verse 13. Oh, oh friend, listen to this. And the angels were ministering to him. Some commentators would say, by the way, Jesus was fasting for 40 days, so he was weak in his humanity. Some, some commentators would say that the angels were ministering to him the entire time. The moment he got there, while he was you know, being tempted by Satan, the whole time. Here's the point. Now remember, this is being written to the church in Rome that's under tremendous persecution. Did you know that Nero, not Miro, Miro is Nero's cousin, but Nero, Nero, when he would kill Christians, would have the gladiators put on the skins of wild animals, would actually throw Christians to wild animals. So when Paul is, or excuse me, Mark is writing to the church in Rome and he's talking about wild animals and the wilderness and he's saying the angels are ministering to Jesus there. He's saying just like God did not abandon the son when he was in the wilderness under the temptation of the wild animals, nor will God abandon you while we're in this wilderness and these temptations. And it is a wilderness. We are surrounded by wild animals. Just try driving on the Palmetto any given rush hour morning. They're beasts. A lot of them are in your car. Just look in the mirror. I, I, lately, I've been driving like a crazy man. I think there's just something over me. I picked up my daughter last night from the airport, and I think there was, I heard her praying a few times. I was driving fast, wasn't I? Okay. I'm going to repent. <laughs> but, it, but it's a crazy place, isn't it? But God will not abandon you, dear Christian friend. I don't care what you're going through. It can feel like those wild animals are ripping your family apart, your heart apart, your faith apart. You're going, what is going on here? You're running up metaphorical trees with metaphorical wild dogs chasing, snapping at your heels. And you can ask, where is God? He's right with you. These angels were with Jesus. They're with us. More importantly, the Spirit is with us. Jesus himself is with us. Danny Aiken, in his wonderful commentary on this uh, book of Mark, says the following, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the servant king, and this is what he came to do, who fights God's enemies on behalf of God's people. Friend, Jesus is confirmed as God's son so he can run the battle against God's adversary. Eternal Son. He didn't become the son at his baptism. Always was. But my son. Now go immediately. Whoom, I'm running to the battle. I'm confronting God's adversary and defeating him. Now listen, that defeat began in the wilderness and it would be culminated on the cross when Jesus writhed in agony and he cried out, it is finished. And just as the heavens were torn open at his baptism, the, tent, the curtain was torn open at his crucifixion. He won the victory. And we live in that. But how many of you know that that victory hmm, is not complete? There is this aspect of the kingdom coming, inaugurated, 
but not yet fully here, consummated. So we age and we get sick and we drive like crazy people at night and we get impatient and we say things we shouldn't say. And did you see that, that uh, viral video of this ESPN reporter who was yelling at the person in the tow truck place? You seen that? Awful. Awful. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm just glad that I'm not, no one knows me, so that if they captured me anywhere getting, you know, in tow truck, don't even get me started on tow truck places in South Florida. But that's us, isn't it? We're saints and we act like horrible sinners. The already not yet. Jesus alludes to that here in the final verses. Look at verse 14 and 15. So now John is arrested. There's probably a period of time between Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and John's arrest. Other gospels tell us there's a period of time. Mark's not concerned with that. Here's what Mark is concerned with. Jesus is now going to hold the press conference of all press conferences. Forget Marco Rubio at the Freedom Tower. Forget Ted Cruz at Liberty University. Forget Hillary Online. Forget Rand Paul in Louisville, Kentucky. All these people announced for the presidency. It's a pretty big deal. This is the press conference of all press conferences. This is the announcement of all announcements. This isn't just announcing some new policy that somebody's going to initiate as president of the United States. This is a new kingdom coming. And the king is making the pronouncement. Listen to what he says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came in Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. I love that. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Redeemer is here. And listen listen to what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is saying, repent and believe in me. Believe in me. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior. I am the second Adam who, who succeeded. Although Adam wasn't in the wilderness, he was in the garden, but he succeeded where Adam failed. I am the true Israel. Where Israel failed in the wilderness, I succeeded. I am the perfect king, and I succeed where you fail. Believe in me, says Jesus. I am God in the flesh. This entire section screens the deity of Christ. Believe in me, says Jesus. And we'll see in this Gospel of Mark, I'm the one who forgives sins. I'm the one who will heal the sick. I'm the one who will cast out demons. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Believe in me, says Jesus. I am the one who raises the dead, who himself would be raised from the dead, defeating sin and Satan at the end of this gospel. Believe in me, says Jesus. My life, my ministry, my miracles, my death, my resurrection, my ascension, they make my deity undeniable. Bow your knee. Believe in me. That is the third point. How will we respond to him? We respond to him By repenting and believing. Listen, friends, this press conference, it was in Galilee, by the way, which is amazing because Galilee was was in the middle of nowhere. This insignificant place. The most historic press conference ever. The definitive moment of history. The dawn of salvation. The fullness of time, according to Galatians 4.4. The coming of the promised Holy Spirit. God has inaugurated in this press conference the final phase of history. It will be consummated at Christ's second coming, but it was inaugurated there. Has he come, my friend, to you? 
Repent and believe. That's for believer and unbeliever. Unbeliever for the first time. Sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Believer, wherever we confront our thinking in opposition to God's. And he's with you. He won't abandon you in this already, not yet. It's been inaugurated already, but it's not yet been consummated. And somewhere in the middle is where we're living, where life gets messy, where we get confused, where we say and do things that we're sorry about. We, in Christ, are God's beloved. Jesus won where we lost. Let us repent and believe. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Worship team, would you please come up? Father, I pray that this morning there would be encouragement for your people. Lord, those who are bowed by the ravages of sin, disappointment, those that have been sinned against, those that have sinned against others, and those that have done both and are hurting from both. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them who the Son of God is. Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, the one in whom you are well pleased, the King, true Israel, the one who defeated Satan in the war in the wilderness. Oh, Father, we lose that war so often. Help us, Father. Father, I'm crying out to you. Help us, Lord. I lose that war when it comes to faith. Faith that you're working. When I look at lives or things that are not happening as I would see and desire and even see in your word, Father, forgive me when I, I, I'm like Israel in the wilderness. My mouth starts running and I become a critical condemning, complaining son. And it betrays my unbelief. And the only one I'm talking badly about is you. And I'm so sorry. And I pray that you would come. You who won the victory. Who defeated the enemy. Would you come and pick us up Put and pour oil and wine into our wounds. Bind up our hurting souls. Strengthen our, our weak faith. You are working. Let us see it. Let us believe. And let us cry out. Though the entire world abandon us and we find ourselves in a wilderness with ravenous beasts around us, metaphorically speaking, you will never abandon us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You are with us until the end. That's what you said when you gave us the Great Commission. Now we we trust you in this. And we confess together, all I have is Christ. Let us stand. Let us confess that as a church. Let us sing that. Listen, let, let me just say this to you. While we're singing this, if you would like some ministry, if you would like prayer, can I invite you to just come down? We've got folks in here that can pray for you. I'll be here. Desi and I will be here. Corey and Cindy are here. If, if more people come down, uh, those of you who have prayed for folks in the past, just come on up and pray for folks. But this is a time where we're just, we're, we're, we're taking our time before God. We've got plenty of time. God is ministering to us. If you need that prayer, we're here to pray with you. And God is here by Spirit to encourage you. So let's sing together. All I have is Christ.